0: Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Warning letters sent last week by the Federal Trade Commission to two food industry trade groups and a dozen online health influencers questioning the adequacy of paid partnership disclosures may not be the harbinger of impending enforcement that some believe, but they do shine a light on common social media practices that the FTC deems as insufficient or is unwilling to give a pass to going forward. For example, in the letter sent to the American Beverage Association and the Canadian Sugar Institute, as well as several health influencers with which they worked, FTC suggests the common use of hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored somewhere in the text of the social media post is not the silver bullet that some people hoped. Likewise, the letters indicate a single passing reference to the sponsorship status of a post also may not be enough, especially if the platform uses multiple types of media to convey a message or if the players involved are not immediately clear. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Laura Brett, the vice president of BBB National Programs and National Advertising Division, breaks down the significance of these and other shifts in FTC's expectations around disclosures and endorsements for marketers and influencers. She also highlights what she says could be a new principle that FTC outlines, possibly for the first time in these letters, which is a requirement that influencers not only disclose sponsorships, but also who sponsored them, especially if it's not immediately evident. And finally, Brett puts FTC's actions in context of other enforcement efforts and offers best practices for avoiding consumer confusion and staying on FTC's good side. So first thing first, while these letters are an important warning to industry and help clarify expectations for endorsements, Brett says the FTC's flurry of activities is not a crackdown, nor does it necessarily portend a crackdown, as some high-profile headlines suggest.
1: The FTC has sent warning letters to two trade associations and a number of influencers asking them about specific posts on Instagram, on um, TikTok, that dietitians posted. Um, about one for the Canadian Sugar Association about sugar and and the the potential, you know, the the, the demonizing of sugar. Um, and, uh, to the American Beverage Association with dietitians posting about aspartame. Um, and, and the, and the, the health impact of aspartame and, and specifically, Trying to deflect some of the criticism that aspartame got in the wake of a World Health Organization warning about aspartame. Um, the FTC's main concern in these letters was the sufficiency of the disclosures that the influencers were posting the, creating these posts in partnership with the trade associations. Watching the FTC's activity over the last several years it is pretty clear to me that they are concerned about endorsements um, and the use of endorsements in um, by brands and particularly the use of influencers in marketing products and maybe even specifically health related products um, or influencers making health or safety claims. Um, So so I think that's one area of focus for the FTC that should be on the minds of, of brands and particularly food brands. Um, but I, but I also think that, um, the, another message from this is, is simply some, somewhat opportunistic, right? This issue with the dietitians uh, being influencers for the Canadian Sugar Association or the American Beverage Association was a, an issue highlighted by the Washington Post in an article about a month ago. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, we had some journalists. Exposing what they were concerned about as, as a practice and the FTC, it was, it put it on their radar in an area that's uh, an area of focus for the FTC. Um, so, you know, so on some level, I think there's, there's something almost, you know, fortuitous about why we're seeing this now. And that is that you had some journalists calling out a practice, uh, that the FTC, that was on the FTC's enforcement priorities. And, and therefore, you know, we see these warning letters from the FTC in response to that.
0: In the Washington Post story that ran in September, which Brett suggests may have triggered this flurry of warnings from the FTC, journalists note that at the same time the World Health Organization raised questions about the safety of the artificial sweetener aspartame, multiple social media posts by registered dietitians used the hashtag safety of aspartame to downplay the WHO warning. They also, according to the story, Downplay that the American Beverage Association paid them to post the videos on TikTok and Instagram. Those same influencers were among those who FTC sent warning letters to, prompting a follow-up story by the Washington Post with the headline, FTC Cracks Down on Food Industry for Paid Dietitian Influencer Posts. But according to Brett, this characterization may be a bit of an overstatement. But she adds the content of the letters is still important.
1: So uh, I think everybody should just take a deep breath and exhale. This is not a crackdown. This is the FTC sending warning letters. They're using their authority not to bring an enforcement action, but to send warning letters to these companies and to uh, to the associations and to the influencers. So um, while there should be attention about what the FTC is looking at right now and the fact that it's sending these warning letters, um, I think that what everybody needs to recognize that this is the FTC doing a good job of warning companies before bringing enforcement actions. And what it's trying to do is really illustrate for companies some of the principles that were outlined in the endorsement guides. By way of background, I think many people probably know the FTC updated its endorsement guides in at the beginning of this year. And the updated endorsement guides have generated a lot of attention and a lot of talk. Because this, they said things like, if you're going to make an endorsement in a video and you're actually going to, you know, have an audio endorsement of a product, you have to have a disclosure in the audio. Um, They also said things like, some of the platform disclosure tools might not be okay. And, and here what we have is an FTC warning letter being sent to these, these influencers and these associations, really showing the kind, those, those showing examples of Platform tools that they found to be insufficient and video endorsements where they found the disclosures were insufficient because the disclosures weren't made in the audio because and the endorsements were made in the audio.
0: The biggest takeaway from the letters, according to Brett, is FTC's emphasis not just on disclosing a partnership, but also clearly stating in a way that consumers can understand who the sponsor is a potentially new principle that shakes the foundation of how many companies have handled disclosures on social media in recent years. Um, I I think a
1: lot of brands uh, in reading FTC guidance have felt that if you include hashtag ad, the FTC has, and I've heard companies say this, has blessed that as an adequate disclosure. Um, Here, the FTC made clear that hashtag ad may be sufficient if the consumer or the viewer of the content knows who is who the ad is for, right? if they know just from the context of the post that you know it, it it is Coke or Nike or um or a beauty company that's sponsoring the ad because it's clear by the nature of the the post itself that we're looking at a single product from a single brand and we know that that's they must be the sponsor if it's written hashtag ad. Um, if you looked at the FTC's endorsement guides, and specifically if you looked at their FAQs to the endorsement guides in the most recent update, it was pretty clear to me that the FTC ind- was indicating that in circumstances that you, in which you don't know who is the sponsor of the post, that also has to be disclosed. And I think that's the, one of the important lessons that is coming from this set of warning letters is – the FTC reiterates in, in almost every single one of the letters to the influencers and the associations so, that one of the problems with the posts was not just the, the sufficiency of the disclosures in the, in, in, as far as its clear and conspicuousness, but also that consumers would not understand who was the sponsor of the ad based on just the either the paid post or the hashtag ad or the sponsored um, b- labels that were being put on those posts. The FTC letters make it clear that when you're making a disclosure, you should be looking at the disclosure from the eyes of a consumer, and specifically the consumer who's going to be looking at it. So while several of these posts did have a disclosure indicating a sponsor, whether Ameribev or um, some sort of abbreviation for the Canadian Sugar Association, the FTC said That was insufficient. And and, and I'm going to think I'm going to step into their shoes and and hypothesize as to why. And that is because the FCC is looking at this from the point of view of a consumer who may not be that familiar with those associations. So they they want the name of the association to be spelled out in a way that will be transparent to consumers. Um, You know, these are consumers who are not following the American Beverage Association or the Canadian Sugar Institute. They are. Consumers who are following a dietitian and they're looking to that dietitian for advice on health and nutrition issues, I'm assuming. So the FTC is stepping into the shoes of that consumer and saying, are they going to understand what Ameribev is? Are they going to understand what the canned sugar and UTR is? And, and said, in this case, they didn't think so. There may be other abbreviations that consumers do understand, but I think it does highlight that using some sort of an abbreviation is, is, is it may be insufficient. It's something that that you know, brands and associations and the attorneys who, rep, who advise them should all be looking out for.
0: The FTC also stresses in the letters that where this disclosure is matters. As Brett notes, it needs to be prominently displayed in a format or formats that match the multimedia nature of social platforms, which may mean repeating disclosures several times within the same post. The
1: letters, if you read them, provide a lot of detail on exactly where these hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored disclosures are being made, and they also provide a lot of detail about where the FTC wants to see those disclosures. Um, if you read some of the letters, they indicate that the hashtag ad was found after six lines of text, or after ten lines of text, or um, or displayed only fleetingly before you play a video. Um, the the and and I think in looking at where you are going to put a disclosure. The the FTC is making it eminently clear. They want to see it up front where the consumer cannot miss it. And I think that's something to really think through. Uh, A lot of the recent guidance we've seen from the FTC um, in the endorsement guides and even some of the health claims guidance that we're seeing, the FTC is making it really, really clear that they want disclosures to be unavoidable. Um, And and then when you're looking at social media posts, really the only way for a disclosure to be unavoidable is for it to be placed up top, you know, in the first or second line of text in a way that consumers have to see it, um, even if they don't interact further with the particular post. And and here, as I said, you know, it, it was pretty clear that, the, and the FTC has been clear in the past, that putting hashtag ad at the bottom of a long post where it's not, not visible if, unless you open up the entire post is insufficient. So that's an area where, you know, I think we've seen some guidance from the FTC in the past. Um, you know, another interesting thing for me was one of the one of the videos that were that was flagged here had a um, a disclosure at the outset that where it said um, on uh, on the on the post itself it said in partnership with American Bever- Beverage Association uh, or something like that indicating that there was a partnership and they used the full name of the association. But once the video was opened. Um, there was no disclosure in the video itself either in the either either a visual disclosure or an audio disclosure, and the FTC said it wanted to see both in the in the in the video itself. So I think that might be new information because I think that there might be have been an understanding that putting that disclosure before you played the video was in was sufficient and that it didn't need to be in the video but um but uh, there's also guidance that made it clear that y- you might need to repeat disclosures, and I think that's what the FTC is really trying to illustrate here.
0: FTC also makes clear in the letters that visual disclaimers need to be, well, visible. That may sound obvious, but FTC notes in the letters that text disclaimers in some of the TikTok and Instagram reels, promotions were too small or at the bottom of the screen or maybe poorly contrasted and didn't stand out. So this is something that we
1: have a lot of experience with, right? So at the National Advertising Division, we're looking at advertising advertising. For truthfulness, we're looking at disclosures um in influencer marketing. We're looking at, at disclosures for, you know, just simply the benefits of products or services. And we're regularly talking about the prominence of disclosures. They've got to be clear and conspicuous. And what does that mean? It's got to be a large enough size font against a sufficiently contrasting background. And there, you can't have visuals in the background that distract a consumer's attention away from the disclosure itself. Um it, For us, it was really reinforcing to see the FTC say the same thing. They were really... Um, they did, the letters do, in fact, focus on some disclosures where they say, you know, not sufficiently sized font, say not sufficiently contrasting background. And they also focus on the distracting visu- visuals that might be on screen at the same time the disclosures are being made. So, um, you, you know, it, it, from a, from our perspective as a self-regulator, it's really helpful to see the FTC reinforcing the standards that we think they put out there. But um, and, and we often see are not followed, as you pointed out. Um, and reinforcing that that is in fact what's required. You really do have to make sure that, that the, the disclosures are are displayed in a way that, that consumers will see them and not just that they're there and in somehow in technical compliance with the law, but really there in a way that where consumers can notice, read and understand them.
0: Influencers and brands who rely on paid partnership disclosure tools provided by social media platforms also may be in for a rude awakening as FTC once again points out that these tools are not always sufficient.
1: FTC called out specifically these these paid partnership tools on both TikTok and Instagram and said that they are not sufficient, that the viewer is likely to, you know, could potentially miss them in a way, which would mean that they didn't understand that there was a material connection between, you know, the product or service being promoted and the influencer. And he, and so you know here it's really, I guess, an association that's being promoted, not a product or service.
0: In addition to outlining how and where disclosures should appear in social media posts, the FTC also reiterates when they are needed, i.e., any time that there is what FTC calls a material connection between a brand or company and influencers. Notably, Brett points out, this is not restricted to a paycheck. It also could include free product, coupons, or other perks, both big and small.
1: FTC has, di- has defined material connections very, very broadly. Um, they, they call a material connection anything from payment from the brand, you know, direct payment, which I think most of us would identify as a material connection, to you know, products being provided to an influencer, uh And to even, you know, the potential to win a sweepstakes prize if you enter um, here, I think the, the material connection was a little more straightforward. But the FTC really looks at whether or not the connection is something that the viewer of the content would in- anticipate being there. Right. And I think that's why they it's such a broad definition, because. We looked at a case a few years ago where we look, we were looking at sort of coupons for yogurt in, as a, an incentive to purchase and a, 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 a taste test a yogurt. And based on the FTC's guidance, we said, you know, that coupon to purchase even a $4 yogurt is a material connection that consumers wouldn't understand because if a consumer is going to get a free yogurt and, and get to taste that yogurt for free, they might be more inclined to you know, positively rate it. Than if they were get if they had to pay for that yogurt and had to make that sort of necessary cost benefit analysis that we all make when we purchase something with our own money. So they they've defined it really, really broadly. In fact, they've also included things like you know maybe the opportunity for sponsorship or the opportunity to be featured in television or uh, in, in some uh, other broader way as a material connection that might require disclosure. I think for a lot of brands um, one one surprise was that free product could be considered a material connection because so often they're sending free product to influencers cuz they want the influencers to try it and see if they like it. Um and what I will say is, you know, that that is certainly a gray area. Uh certainly free product that's being sent to incentivize a, a, like a consumer review, um that's something that requires disclosure, but if you're just, you know, broadly sending things out to influencers and hoping that some will post about your product and you don't have a relationship with them um, that might not require a disclosure but if you have you know an ongoing relationship with influencers to maybe provide them say think of think of it as like a weekly subscription or a monthly subscription and you're sending that to them monthly because you want them to write and post about that that's the kind of free product and material connection disclosure that's going to be required.
0: For now, the warning letters are just that, warnings. But Brett notes they do caution recipients about the potential for sizable civil penalties if the companies and influencers do not take satisfactory corrective action.
1: There, There's no consequence at the moment. There are no fines, no consequences. Um, what we do have, though, is the FTC has asked these companies to follow, follow up with them on what they're going to be doing in response to the letters and put them on notice that that they could be subject to civil penalties of up to $50,000 per violation. Um, so the FCC is asking all of the influencers and the associations to follow up with them um, based on this on these letters about what they're going to do next. Um, and again, and, and and warn them that they could be fined if the FTC is not satisfied that they're bringing their influ- influencer marketing their influencer marketing practices into compliance with the law.
0: The potential penalties could be devastating for companies if they don't come into compliance. For example, in 2020, FTC imposed a whopping $15.2 million judgment against tea and skincare brand TMI for deceptive influencer practices. This was equal to the total sales of the challenged products. Ultimately, FTC did suspend most of this upon payment of $1 million based on the defendant's inability to pay. But that amount could still be devastating for food and beverage brands. Brett argues that the point of the penalties isn't to squeeze as much as possible out of defendants, but rather to send a clear message to all businesses about the importance of following the law. She also notes that as companies bring their houses in order, they can also help level the playing field by challenging competitors that they believe are misleading consumers. Just a quick plug for our National Advertising Division of BBP National Programs that we are in a
1: position to help spread these practices across the marketplace. We regularly open cases on, on some of these issues and we regularly get challenges where we either you know get improved disclosures from you know from companies or we um, or you you get disclosures where there there was none before. And and we do hope that industries take these warning letters as the warning they're intended to be, bring and bring their advertising practices and their Work with influencer marketers into compliance with the FTC's guidance, and if if their competitors aren't doing the same thing, and we, I'm sure their lawyers hear this from marketers all the time, hey, the other guy's doing it this way. There is a way to bring your your competitors' advertising into compliance with the FTC guidance, and that's by bringing some self-regulatory challenges. And we've tried to make that easier through for and faster for companies through creating some faster tracks for um, for challenges. And influencer marketing is an area that we specifically have said is is something that we can address on an expedited basis. So with regard to influencer marketing specifically and the need for clear and conspicuous disclosures, we created not just a new track, but really a pathway within the track. So we've got a fast track, swift process that resolves any competitor challenges to a, an advertising issue, um, as long as it's a single issue in 20 business days. Um, we created a specific pathway within SWIFT for the, pr- the prominence of disclosures or even the existence of disclosure. It's just it's just a, a separate filing under SWIFT, and we've made it less expensive because we know sometimes these aren't your multimillion-dollar advertising campaign issues that we sometimes look at. These are small um, irritations, right? They're the things that your marketers complain about too and, and, and complain that there are double standards. And so we wanted to create a, a pathway where you might be able to just kind of File a disclosure, a, a swift disclosure challenge. Again, that the whole thing will get resolved in 20 business days. It's the filing fee ranges from it's, it's seven. It's, I think it's eight or $10,000, depending on whether you're a national partner of BBB national programs. And, um, and all you have to do, we even created an online form you can fill out so that you can just say, we don't think this disclosure is sufficient. We don't think that we think there's a material connection that's not disclosed at all. And, um, and we can take a look at the post and the disclosure and we, we, we bring the advertiser in, we ask them, you know, do you have a relationship with this, this, com- this, you know, this influencer, do you have, um and you know, if not, then obviously we close the matter. But if they do, we would talk through what the, the, the sufficiency of the disclosure and, and what a more, what a clear and conspicuous disclosure looks like. Very often, when new companies come through this self-regulatory process, it's a real education for them. I mean, some small brands actually don't have legal advice. So their, their marketers are out there without the benefit of, of somebody who's told them about the FTC guidance. So it can often be an educational process for an advertiser. Um, and then in the end, you know, we issue a, a short decision that indicates whether what, whether or not we make any recommendations for changes to the advertising. Um, and everybody goes their separate ways and the good, I mean, we also have the ability to, continue to monitor the advertising for compliance with the recommendation that we made. And it is a voluntary process, but companies that don't follow our self-regulatory guidance or even don't participate in, in the, the, the self-regulatory challenge uh, will get referred to the FTC. And this is an area where we know we have the FTC's focus, right? We know the FTC is looking at these endorsement issues, these, uh, these um, influencer marketing issues, uh, and so you know we're we're pretty confident the f t c will take action it's It's pretty clear that the f t c follows up on our referrals because they keep a transparent track record of referrals from all of the all of the BB national programs advertising programs and um specifically the national advertising division referrals, in addition in the influencer marketing space, we do have a relationship with meta to report misleading advertising to meta if we can't get the advertising changed um It's a little trickier with regard to disclosures because those may not be considered ads, but we do have a reporting channel and may be a good resource in getting getting some action taken on those just directly with the platform.
0: In the end, the current FTC action is a work in progress as the recipients still have 15 days from receiving the letters to respond, which could either resolve the matter or lead to actual enforcement. But either way, Brett says the message to the industry is clear, which is that the long-used hashtag ad or hashtag sponsorship is not a silver bullet, and companies need to clearly disclose material connections, including both the sponsorship and the sponsor. With that, we have reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again for another installment, and to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, productive, profitable and safe week.